Escape from Plan A. listeners to this episode of escape from plan a a very special episode because we are up all in the cat skills and we have jess with us live in person <laughs> just in new york new york this is a very special thing because we don't know when we'll get another chance for this type maybe just will relocate to new york for some reason but i think that's the best hope we have so we just want to take advantage of the situation while up we're up here in this cabin Heat's down, by the way, so Jess and I are huddled in blankets. Uh, teens, teen seems fine right now, but who knows what'll happen at night. We're going to huddle around the fire. Got some space heaters. No hot water either, so I'm going showerless all weekend. <laughs> yep, it's the real experience. It's kind of strange. I've never actually talked to you guys in person before. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mean together? Like together, yeah. yeah. Like we've never been like looking at each other eye to eye while we do a pod do a pod yeah. Yeah. yeah just your voice sounds exactly the same but seeing you in person is is uh is another step yeah so this will this will be fun yeah so we've hung out in la plenty of times yeah we hang out right yeah. but like the podcast experience where i'm like actually looking at human and being in the eye as opposed like i usually pod in a really cramped tiny space i'm looking oh, really? at like a wall that's <laughs> like five inches in front of me yeah yeah, so um, this, I want to call these our, our cat skills sessions. Uh, I don't know how many of <laughs> oh, these. Oh, that sounds so official, <laughs> man. <laughs> It'll be lost tapes of, of Plan A. In like five uh, years, we re- released the remaster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So this episode, we've been thinking about doing this for a while, um, but, you know, we haven't been able to coordinate it. But it's been t- almost exactly two years since I published my article uh, what if Asian American men fall to the alt right? Which I just checked. It was published on September nineteenth, twenty seventeen. So, so about a, a, about two years, one month. Yeah, two years, yeah. one month, and it was our first article that went that got a lot of readers. Uh, thanks to our, I don't know, a friend of me, uh, Leg. Oh yeah, <laughs> we have a convoluted <laughs> history with that. I don't know what he's up to these days. Wish him all the best. But he shared it on his Facebook page. So that was our, our first taste of what it was like to get a sudden mass uh, amount of readers. Not that our other articles didn't also get a lot of readers, but this one just took took off the gate. And there was a, there was a lot of pushback from the start. Do you guys remember that? I do, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I remember how seriously we took it, too. We're like, oh, shit. We've got <laughs> well, to address was, these things. We've got to, make a, like a, we've got to address these point by point. Yeah. 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 Uh, in one of the Facebook groups, Jen Fang had a wall of text in which she says she was like seriously disturbed and supremely disappointed <laughs> in my article. Uh, and then uh, there were other people who expressed um, similar thoughts. Do you remember she explained why? Well, pretty much because the, the gist of my article was that um, there was like the current Asian American liberalism as it stood left out a lot of people, one among being uh, Asian American men. And she took that to mean that um, it's like the whole, well, then you're just a, like a men's rights movement kind of thing. And yeah, she but, said, but that's what you were addressing. Right. And that's yeah. what I was addressing. And my whole point was, uh, no, we can't 
let these guys fall to that, which was the whole title of my yeah. article. But I think what it showed was that with Asian Americans, there is this a lot of anxiety about um, there's this limited space in which we're allowed to form some kind of political consciousness. And uh, if there's only space for like one. So even if we agree on 90% of the things, we defer on 10%, um, even just a healthy disagreement threatens um, them because there can only be one. So if it's not them, then it's going to be us. So I think that it betrayed a lot of that anxiety because there's, I think Asian Americans feel like there's only so much attention and funds that can go around. And if any other group does not fall lockstep with them, then they are a threat to their position. In a weird way, I can actually relate to that because two years ago, uh, I would say it just felt a lot more urgent that we, I felt a lot more urgency in making sure that the things that we wanted to say got heard or got, got out there. Uh, I don't know if I quite feel the same urgency anymore, but at that time, for some reason, I do remember thinking like, someone needs to say this. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's like two years on, I kind of feel like either we said it or so, a lot of other people said similar things. And I feel like now is, if you follow the online Asian American discussion, it's it, it's it's evolved a lot, I think, in the t- past two years. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I think two years ago, yeah, there was, some, there was a mood in the air where it just felt very necessary to try to break down problems very methodically and with some amount of seriousness like even bad faith arguments felt important to break down two years in i don't care as much about that anymore it's like two years of the same back it's the exact same back and forth it's not like the issues have really changed all that much and if you look at the bottom um if you look at the lower levels of the discourse it's really the same thing over and over and over again that's my. That's been my frustration with it. Oh, so you're saying it hasn't actually evolved? It's just been stuck in the same loop. I think so. Yeah, um, I can see that too. I think it's it's now it's the same issue, but now there's more collective fatigue over it, which actually has the has the negative effect of uh, uh, reinforcing very tired people to still stand for the same things. Like the people who are interested in this, but kind of. Re- got to some resolution and bounced they're no longer involved in this discussion so it's still so everybody who graduates just leaves so it still leaves this like concentrated soup of very low level emotionally driven anger driven dialogue i think that's the our next challenge something i want to talk about with this pod is we've been doing this for two years and when we started what really excited us was we're talking about all these things that nobody else is talking about where whether it's like gender issues the lack of genuine like asian american political consciousness that's not just piggybacking off of existing movements and those are the things that really animated us i think two years from now i think it has become much more mainstream with uh within asian american people that the stuff we talked about two years ago which seems so radical that you had someone like jen fan come out against us the instant we, we you know we we started plan a because september 19th uh, i think we published our first article in like august 22nd or 23rd so that was like a few weeks after we started and then we were attacked right out of the gate but the stuff we said then is now probably being said by 
uh, you know, NPR, NBC, you go to these things and you see it much more mainstreamed. You're talking about like mostly the, like, especially the gender. Yeah. Reviews. Especially the gender stuff. Yeah. You, you see it on, you know, the in, NPR invisibility episode, the New York times, modern love article that, that came out that we potted about. So all this stuff has, I think, become much more acceptable to talk about. So in our position now we're thinking of, well, what's the next step? And Jess, I think what you were talking about is we, since we don't know what that next step is, a lot of the people who graduate, uh, so to speak, uh, we don't know where to go. So they might drop out or wander around. And then it, it's the people who are still at the, at the entry level who are who have a more of a structure to work with. Yeah. So I, I think that's our responsibility. And I was like, what is that next step? See, I don't know. None of us know. I know, that thing. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's the same thought process, right? Like, what are the problems that are that are on our minds, right? Like, what do we end up talking about more and more? Like, we've we've been talking with each other. I've known you guys for years at this point. Um, I think part of that is uh, kind of coming to an understanding, um, a more nuanced understanding. So it's no longer like me, just just this random stranger on the internet engaging with Chris, who's like the archetype for all, say, Asian American men on the internet right i am not a i'm just jess i'm not a stand-in for all asian american women on the internet like once you kind of break that i feel like when we talk online we do resort to relying on archetypes to kind of fill in our understanding of what people are like and this is how it gets ad hominem so quickly like you disagree and then right away off the gate it's because you're you know you're a man and you're embroiled in toxic masculinity and you want you know you're you're on a campaign to try to you know you only want to topple white supremacy so you can overtake them in the positioning it gets really heated really really quickly because we're relying on stereotypes basically that we've constructed in our head um so part of me kind of wonders if this fatigue is just um it's more of a personal one rather than like a a generalized one like just me personally i have come to understand and know so many different perspectives that it's no longer it's no longer possible or uh, I can't do it in good faith to just boil people down to some respective collection of identities um, that stand for some political messaging. Right. Um, So in that sense, like I've come to just some personal like acceptance of what these issues are. Um, But I, the more I think about it, the more some, for some of these, there is no real call to action. I think that's where some of the discourse goes, uh, goes, uh, astray because we talk about these in terms of the problems and it's inevitable that you would think that if you're talking about a problem you are trying to also concoct a conclusion some call to action that you want other people to be engaged on with you Uh, for some of these issues that we talk about there is no real there's there isn't a single unified call to action that's even possible uh, so it's it feels irresponsible to try to be always thinking about like this is what you should do if you think this is a problem this is what how you need to think about it this is what you need to do in your personal life uh, it, it's 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 feeling more and more irresponsible to even try to convince someone of that um, so for me the, the struggle is then well, like, then I'm just really talking as a single person um, I. I I just don't know how to think about these problems in a way that's divorced from necessarily immediately hopping to some some solution that we want people to be engaged in. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think I think for me, uh, I am more interested in more personal stories these days. Yeah, uh, yeah, same. Yeah, and like, I <laughs> to me, it's also like a lot of the the racial issues are more embedded into how you just function, like how you think as a person, you may not even know whether it's related or not. Um, but I think, 
one thing I do see is that sometimes I feel that the things that people are saying about being Asian, um, yeah, I think people tend to archetype what they're saying in a way. With, and they're, they're selectively, they selectively reveal certain details about their life. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't they're see the whole telling. story, right? They're very, very telling. Exactly yeah. what you decide to throw at someone, it's, it's pretty telling of their own psychology and coming in. Yeah, yeah, it just feels kind of incomplete. And I think part of it is why I don't feel that there's a lot of like Asian American writers or personalities that are really grabbing me in a way which I wish I would see more of. Because even if I read like a white or a black or a Latino author that is super interesting to me, there's still part of me. I was like, I wish I was reading this from an Asian person. Um, so I'd like to, that's kind of what I've been looking for, which is why, you know how like we kind of, we're basically potting for articles, right? Um, I guess Oxford for me, like I do think I'm still more interested in like what we can do in terms of getting people to write um, and just like quality of writing. Yeah. What's What do you see this as a difference, difference between say why particularly writing as opposed to other forms of media? Um, I don't know just because it, 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 it just it's harder to do and when it's done well you know I don't know. Like, I just, I just feel like it, it's more valuable if it's done, if writing is done well, and you just feel compelled to read something. I just don't feel compelled to read a lot of Asian American authors. Yeah, there's I, a permanence yeah. to writing that's helpful. Yeah, because yeah. you can always go back to it. Whereas, I like how many of us listen to a podcast podcast episode more than once? Like yeah, very, mean, rarely, very rarely, right? Uh, I can't even think of maybe like one episode in all the podcasts I've ever listened to. I might listen to it more than once. Mm-hmm. It's hard to go back and quote it. It's hard to even sharing it with someone. You're asking someone to invest like an hour or maybe even two hours of their time to maybe get to a point that is not heard until like minute 51, you know, 26 seconds in. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with an article, you can just say, okay, hey, check this out, you know, copy paste. Uh, and it, it spreads like that. And so I think that is the value of writing. That's also the downside of writing that it is more permanent. So you better know what you're writing about because it can be thrown back against you. So you got to be able to express yourself pretty well. And I think that does make people pull back sometimes from writing where they're like, okay, I'm not 100% sure on this. I might blurt out on a podcast because no one will probably remember it. But when I write it, uh, I better know it 200%. And since I don't know it like that, I'm going to soft pedal it and then you end up with a more generic like am i asian am i american you know those type of pieces which don't say anything and they get published because hey it's like asian american pacific heritage month or whatever and and that seems acceptable fills a quota but it doesn't say anything i'm curious in why we say the thing why we say the things we do and what we don't say uh, I've just been thinking about, you know, the tropes that you just see constantly in Asian American literature and just um, like journalism. Oh, I don't know what, what that genre of writing is, you know, like like not quite an op-ed, not quite a journalistic piece, not quite like memoir, like a personal essay that's still kind of that's still kind of directional. Um, is there a name for that that genre? 
Uh, are you talking about uh, like like the whole like first person yeah. kind of thing? I know that gets attacked a lot because they think it's exploitative, especially of young women. Mm-hmm. Ooh, like uh, right about that time, you almost got sexually assaulted because <laughs> it titillates readers and it doesn't really say anything in terms of politics. Uh, it's just like somebody's sex story, and it's 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 essentially what you might read, almost what you might read in like an old penthouse uh, letter. Mm-hmm. But they dress it up as something that's <coughs> more respectable. But it it targets that same part of the brain that that w- why they would read something like like a penthouse letter. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm curious. So why why collectively uh, we focus on these very relatively narrow issues to stand in as some as representative some well, whole? What's an example? Like what are you talking uh, about? The stinky lunch genre of oh, writing. Okay. I know yeah. that's not the for, that's just, that's just what I call it. Like it's uh-huh. basically <laughs> you you see a piece by an Asian American, um, and the odds are pretty good at one point if it's if it's kind of autobiographical, they're going to talk about that time someone called their lunch stinky. I got bullied over. This is just like a cornerstone of being Asian American. Um, like I never experienced that as a kid, but I have come to know that if you are Asian American, that's your shit. You you just have to own that your lunches are not accepted in the mainstream, right? Um, so basically, if you're Asian American, like you just you just, I feel like everyone just kind of knows this this um, this story, right? Yellow fever is another big one, mm-hmm. right? Um, what's another one that we like war trauma? I think that's oh new. oh oh. Where are you? To, where are you China. from? Where are you from? Yeah. Where are you really from? Right. That's yeah. that's the third one. Cultural appropriation. C- cultural appropriation is a, is a relatively new but strong up, contender. I yeah. didn't grow up seeing anybody that looked like me on television. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Usually around any time, anytime there's any Asian face in some it's media. done. I, I I mean, it's like I'm not. I don't think any of us are saying that that stuff is invalid or wasn't worth saying, but. It's been done. And it's so and, evergreen. I, yeah. I kept like, you know, when Crazy Rich Asians came out, we had a pretty fairly big wave of ground up, you know, uh, work being done by Asian Americans. Yet it's still, you know, relying on these same touchstones to find kind of find common ground. Um, like one thing that I found really interesting, like you and I talked about this teen, is uh, why Better Luck Tomorrow has completely fallen out of Asian American collective consciousness. Well, it was right? ranked the best Asian American movie by the L.A. Times, but there were a lot of movies there which were more f- like the type that film critics would love, but the average Asian American has probably never seen. Mm-hmm. So it was ranked number one, but chances are the average Asian American probably has barely heard of it or ha- if they've heard of it they've never actually watched it yeah i'm saying like when crazy rich asians came out there were so many like congratulatory pieces saying this is the first major like studio release since joy luck club you know it's in 25 years since we had had a movie with an all asian cast and like in that mentioning like they're like better luck tomorrow just falls out of collective consciousness um, and my my theory is that it just doesn't fit the narrative that Asian Americans have created for themselves. I know there's a lot of ink spilled about how we are boxed in, but I think we have agency in a lot of that too because we keep relying on the same tropes to like build the collective consciousness. This is just the Asian American brand. Our lunches stink. Our women are hot. Um, our stuff is kind of cool. Um, so what do you want to see? I, anything different, right? Mm-hmm. I I just I'm just I'm not really proposing anything i'm just wondering what in this what in this these uh, subjects are so deep that um that they keep having to be revisited yeah like I've been each, just, 
like just to let's just wrap, wrap up the point like every time you see a piece like this like i think there was one it was beautifully written it was a woman i think she's she's half asian uh her korean mother passed away and it's about her breaking down in the middle of an h mart right oh, like, that's the uh the japanese breakfast essay in um the new yorker i think yeah uh, beautifully written it. frankly just like the synopsis of it just sounds nauseating but go go ahead. i mean it was sad i mean it's real right i fe- i felt for i felt for her and that you know that genuinely um was it was a moving story was that the one about h mart yeah like yeah. she she was like breaking down in h mart because you know food was her connection to her culture through her mother um I, she doesn't have a connection through her father and so when she passed away it's like something real got severed i understand that and i feel for that um and it, but like the way it was received, it was like it was the first one had, that had ever been written on this subject. Pretty reliably, okay, if I were to write and I wanted to maximize views, I would pretty much just combine um, Stinky Lunch and Yellow Fever. I would, that, this, would, <laughs> this would rock. You could yeah. get a lot of clicks on this, right? Um, just, but I can't believe that this is the sum total of Asian American consciousness. Yeah. I can't believe that. Um, and it's, I'm just curious what, what draws these creatives uh, to sit down and dedicate a portion of their lives to creating a piece based on this, and it's the same thing over and over again. I think, like, just thinking about uh, that as you raised it, these just sound like children's narratives, right? It's about developmental uh, you know, narrative. It's like, yeah. you know, please like my food, because because uh, like the whole Asian stinky lunch thing that did not become popular until like Asian food became quite accepted in, yeah. in mainstream society. So ultimately, what you're asking for is not that radical. You're asking for this kind of retroactive apology for something that mainstream society now really likes. Because uh, it's not challenging. It's not like saying you will now accept this food that you still actually hate. It's actually what you love now. Same thing with Yellow Fever. Ultimately, it's about a type of sexual attraction that uh, mainstream America likes. It's not saying it's not challenging challenging them to like something that they find repulsive they they like it and you know ultimately what's the what's the message of like the the, the stinky lunch thing it's like you know please accept our food with the yellow fever it's like please accept uh, our humanity these, or something yeah. yeah most of these articles are not like and and this is why i don't you know literally fuck with white men it's always usually can you be nicer to us you know like we really can't stop you know wanting you so can you please want us in a you know slightly better way it's, it's very supplicating it's like a children to parent narrative and i think yeah. that's why it, it's very pleasing for the for the wider audience um yeah i i agree with that i think they're they're actually it's pretty insidious because these are they're they're promoted and talked about as empowerment right as if uh, just the fact that it appeared in the new yorker is it should be like we should collectively be adding plus one to our like points tally in society like we have we've gone up one point as a result of some asian person publishing a piece in the new yorker uh and it's about how they were bullied as a kid for their stinky lunches but in this in some total to me that's pretty insidious because these are pity narratives exactly um it's it you i think you're right to use that word supplicating it it's it's supplicating and appeasing to um to a greater power uh these are narratives that are that are soothing and kind of congratulatory and kind of it kind of works the right instinct in uh, in in say white people i mean these are all published in pieces that are predominantly white liberal moneyed um and white 
Um, so, so I think when when I say something different, it's can we can we think about can we think about this in a way that isn't fundamentally about seeking uh, seeking pity or seeking any seeking that kind of seeking to tickle the pity nerve or the noblesse oblige instinct. Uh, I really hate. I really hate those pieces, the ones that are created to lay out, you know, I, I came, I'm a boat, per, my parents were boat people, we settled here, we worked hard, you know, we got bullied uh, for being lower lower income or something, and it's all about, it, it's, a, it's a terrible story, but if you're, but the person that they're taught, okay, rewind, <laughs> I feel like if they're talking about oppressions that they have faced, they're still in they're still expecting that the audience is able to distance themselves from that oppressor right we were bullied by these other kinds of people not as liberal as you not as uh not as sympathetic or um or good as you guys are we are looking to you guys to help validate that um and so it really just furthers a, a very white liberal mission to just distance themselves from the unwashed trailer park hicks you know, the Trump voters, the MAGA people, those bad guys. Um, it's not fundamentally designed to reshape any kind of narrative. Hmm. Um, so I I have a hard time with Asian American media, honestly, because of that. Yeah, so bringing it back to the first thing we mentioned, which was my alt-right article, what do you guys think is the type of article that would break those tired old uh, supplicating narratives and do something that's, brash and bold like teen do you, do you have an idea of what you were looking for you said something like that's more personal but somebody writing that could argue hey that's very personal for me and and he or she's probably right but it's yeah it's like it's a boring kind of personal so what's like exciting personal to you i'm not <clears throat> i think i'm looking for in terms of like what i want to read like when i say i'm looking for something it's like i just have this itch to find something where i when i when i my eyes hit the page i just feel compelled to finish it and uh I think what I'm looking for is actually maybe someone who can actually not someone who can I can relate to through something like Stinky Lunch or whatever. I'm actually looking for someone who has thought things through way more than I have that has like a personality or a worldview that's like more integrated than what I've got. Like I want to learn something from their perspective. I don't want to just relate. I think a lot of those articles that we've been talking about are about, hey, we're all Asian. And one of the things that we all have gone through is being teased about having stinky lunches. And even though that's never happened to me, somehow I can relate, right? Because I feel sorry for them or whatever. But what do I learn from that? Not much. Uh, so I'm looking for someone. Um, I'm looking for people who write something where I'm just learning something i'm 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 getting uh you know there's like there's little epiphanies in what they're saying i just don't see a lot of that i I guess it would be it would have to be forward facing like these narratives they're still like they're still past still about the past some damage that occurred in childhood or adolescence and you as an adult are kind of grappling with that now these are all trying to make kind of sense of some things that already happened in the past i think the things that excite me most is someone who can use that to kind of to to be a little bit more forward facing um like i i always know it really annoys the the crap out of me that all these the so many pieces just end with and this is why we need more conversation like asshole you i thought i was having that with you (laughs) Right, you just contextualize. You just spent like three hundred words to tell me how we need to have a conversation. Like, no, you could have had that. 
I will admit that a lot of my early articles and hell, maybe even my later ones, I haven't reread a lot of my stuff. I did end with something like that. And I think that's a reason why, to be honest, the last couple of months I have been wondering, well, what is our next step? Because we hit our two-year anniversary. And my thought is, if in a year we're still doing the same thing as we're doing now, but you know, kind of like bigger and better, maybe we're getting more views on our articles or more listens on our pods, I, I, th- I think we'll have failed. We got to find whatever it is that's next. And I think the reason is that when, when we started off, Saying that, let's have a conversation, felt very new, felt very exciting. It was. But it, now, yeah. um, you know, we've met a lot of people in real life. Like before I, we did Plan A, it was very rare for me to meet up with someone off the internet. It was still, I still felt a little weird doing that. Now, I, I've, it feels like Standard I do. Standard MO. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I do it every, every day. Uh, not every day. <laughs> like every week, maybe. Mm, all the time. Secrets uh, out. Plan A was, <laughs> uh, was Oxford's Tinder all along. That's just, <laughs> cats out uh, of the bag. <laughs> uh, we're meeting with all sorts of different people, um, you know, politicians, uh, you know, sex worker activists, writers, uh, you know, film people, like disgruntled tech people all sorts of people men women um you know all sorts of asian all with super interesting points of view also yeah so super interesting people so i feel like yeah we've got this conversation started and i was talking about this with anton anton was on our uh very excellent uh hapa men podcast a, a few episodes back which you should listen to if you haven't he and i were talking um in my you know daily perusal of asian reddit i found this post uh, in one of them, uh, in which it was like a Confessions from Berkeley, you know, one of those Facebook groups. It was by a, a young Asian woman, and she was saying how she was tired of criticism from all these super sensitive liberals who were criticizing her preference for white guys, and she was kind of sarcastically apologizing. I'm sorry that I was raised with only images of, you know, desirable white men and all that. And, and Anton and I were just discussing this, and hey, wait a minute. What's really different is that in the past, she would have said, I'm tired of all these criticism from all these super backwards, conservative, race purists, whatever. But she was actually criticizing people from the left, criticizing her for that. Mm -hmm. And if that's how the discussion has gotten, I think like that's kind of what we wanted, right? We were just saying, hey... Like, we don't really care what you do, but let's let's just talk about it from a more honest angle. So if that's what's happening in Berkeley in 2019 among undergrads, it does make what we set out to do like two years ago seem like it's somewhat accomplished. And I think that's why we're feeling a little restless. Yeah, I think so. I mean, two years ago, um, it was still a struggle to break apart the uh, conservative versus liberal binary because right, it was right. still very much you don't you don't sound like this, therefore you must be that. Yeah. Um, talking about say liberal hypocrisy, liberal racism, you know, bullshit caused you know caused and propagated by people on the left. That was still very much a um, an underground. Like you could only really. I could only really talk about that with like close friends. Like if I said that out loud or in any kind of setting um, that isn't just like people who absolutely know me, they would immediately, you know, jump to some conclusions that would be completely wrong about who I am and what I stand for. Two years in, I think, you know, just watching Trump meltdown, but also watching how, you know, the completely uh, ineffective liberal response to that has, I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes to just how, to the, the rottenness of the system itself. So I actually see a lot more people starting to critique, you know, starting to look, zoom a little bit out. They're not talking about just, you know, Trump or, you know, Clinton. 
We're not talking about individual agents anymore. Now we are actually talking about like what was wrong with this entire system that led to this conclusion. I think that's a step in the right direction. We're not like we're not hyper personalizing this uh, anymore. We're actually starting to see how there's there are whole there's a whole infrastructure in place that uh, that perpetuates and incentivize certain kinds of behavior that only manifests in individuals that are selected in a system. So as far as like Asian Americans go, um, I don't think we're behind the ball. No, like, do you guys I agree. Get that sense? I totally agree. So there's a whole like art class of like journalists yeah. and thinking heads. And there's always a sense that we are like three steps behind where right. some bastion of progressivism is. Mm-hmm. And our struggle is that de- is to try to overcome that delta between us and them. It's always assumed that there's always they are always three it's steps ahead. It's a hand-me-down yeah. vision of race. Yeah. So, right. it, you know, as far as they have, they feel this responsibility to be educating, educating the rest of us unwashed yellow masses, right, to close that gap. That's the completely wrong way to talk about this because I think in a lot of ways we we were ahead of that conversation. And I think pieces like yours were actually way ahead of its time. Um, oh, thank you. Well, it was. I mean, that's why we're friends, buddy. Uh, right? Um, it's it's talking about like okay as an Asian American man you did you did root this in your own you know subjectivity as an Asian American man you we, none of us are pretending that we're some like outside impartial observer we're actually contextualizing this in our own subjectivities but you're using this to say like look based on that and my good judgment this is a big problem spot that nobody is properly addressing um, it, through this lens, in particular, you can speak with particular intelligence and um, an integrity on, say, Asian American men, but nothing in that article is necessarily just specific to Asian Americans or Asian American men. This is really saying, look, given this landscape, we're going to have this big blind spot that a shit ton of people, vulnerable people, particularly men, are going to fall into, and this is going to be a problem for everyone. Two years in, what do we see? We see that exact same debate happening on a much larger scale. What, what in your... <clears throat> that's interesting, and I, I think I, I agree with a lot of that, but that's a general statement. What do you think is it about Asian American people that puts them ahead in, in a way? I can see how right now, post-Trump, that the world has... That America, but the world too, has really opened up in a weird way. Uh, not opened up, but a lot of very large, very, a lot of assumptions, a lot of political assumptions, social assumptions by people have fallen apart. And that leaves the field fairly wide open, in my opinion. Um, And so I do believe that wide open field that Asian people in America have certain, can be seen as ahead in certain ways. But what what do you think it is? Well, the the kind of the uh, the way to talk about that—that's kind of hip with uh, you know um, liberal a liberal take on it—is oh, we have a history of oppression, right? Mm-hmm. We were we were recently we're all uh, we all have a history, a pretty fairly recent one of colonialism, oppression, all these social oppressions. Uh, that's not the whole story, though. I think one of the things that sets us apart, ahead of the curve, if we are able to leverage it, is a f- pretty dark one. Like Asian Americans very recently uh, have, n- have now been shown to have the largest wealth gap in America. We beat white people by a fair margin. So in terms of the scale of the issues that we face as a community, this is actually magnified even more so than white people. 
right? How we are able to talk about, say, class, money, uh, aspiration, right? Is is where the conversations I can have with other Asian Americans who do think deeply on, about this is so far ahead of the curve on what any what I can hear from anyone else. And I think it's the fact that one, this for Asians and Asian Americans, this all happened really quickly. Like within my parents' generation and mine, we've basically we have we have. 150 years of history that the West has gone through compressed into maybe 50. And I think that comes with some, uh, some experience in how to talk about these things too. Like we can, I can, I can, I, I, I have heard, I've been to Korea in the eighties. You know, I still remember that time. I remember. Oh really? You, I have. Okay. It was very, very young, but it was that yeah, like, it, it was like, like that traumatic. Eight, late eighties, right? Like 89. Yeah. Right. But it's like going, like seeing, like going out and visiting very distant relatives and like they didn't have indoor plumbing. Right. Oh, yeah, I remember Taiwan in the mid '80s, which followed t- Korea fairly closely. In right. Terms of this, was, this was Seoul. No, this was way outside Seoul. I have, oh. I, 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 I have no idea what we were doing there, honestly. Okay. But like, we just like visited, and like they were explained to be family, and we're just visiting them. I like, didn't have indoor plumbing, right? So I'm literally watching, like, uh, I'm literally watching them pump water, like bring it in with pails, and there's an outhouse, and that was a whole traumatic experience of its own. But like, I remember that this is w- within living memory, watching Korea go from that to the like a global power on its own right and being being asian american you bring all that you do bring all that with you mm-hmm. and the way we have to talk about it like look like just amongst ourselves right how many conversations have we had like we need to be careful about how we talk about these things and who we are speaking to and why look all of us come from such radically different places and if you look at even just the numbers just the wealth gap alone says a, a ton about the incredible variability and in the experiences at the very top of this food chain and the very bottom if you're and what we see is a we see think pieces written from a very very narrow stratum of that diversity and that's supposed to be that's held up as the uh, as the ideal, everyone is actually supposed to aspire to this roughly middle class aspirational American dream kind of uh, class uh, positioning. Um, that's obviously not true. Yeah, and I think that's why it, it is. If if I had to say it, it would probably be, you know, like middle class or at least aspiring middle class, very well educated, mm-hmm. uh, uh, East Asians. East, it, yeah, that's a big one too. Right. And I think, and I think the people doing that know it, and which is why I, you, you constantly see these allegations of, of especially like anti-blackness, like the favor. It's like the favorite nuclear weapon used by like online Asian activists, writer types. And I think it's precisely because they know that they're actually their point of view is a very limited one, and in order to protect their position, they have to, they can't seem like the elite. So they're always accusing other Asians. Uh, especially the ones who are less assimilated, less uh, come from, you know, they're, they're the types who don't go to the elite university, probably go to the local like state schools and stuff like that. Those types of people are constantly branded as anti-black or, uh, you know, homophobic, all, all like the, the negative stereotypes that white people often use against lower class white people. You see Asians replicating exactly the same with our, within our own community. Yeah, and I would also say that one way that 
like look people talk about white adjacency a ton right and you, you usually the way the conversation goes is someone it's people pointing fingers at each other you're white adjacent no you're white adjacent that comes with some power um like if you just cut the bullshit yeah a lot of us are very white adjacent <laughs> we are we are we are witness to a lot of shit that goes on behind the scenes we're not we're not just we're not just victims of the system we are active participants at every at every stratum of society right from the very top we have asians like elaine chow we have people walking the very highest um seats of the halls of power right down to the very least empowered um so i think there's a there's a real opportunity there for people for asian americans who are inside the system to actually talk i think that's one of the appeals of uh of these personal narratives that come out right it's like it's like saying it's saying i am an insider uh if i just laid out my resume you would have this certain impression of who i am and what i stand for but here i am talking from behind that curtain and showing you what it's actually what it actually is like ta- calling out the bs that we all face um but using that subject i think we have a very unique subjectivity where we're close to power some of us have access to quite a bit of it more than we would like to admit maybe sometimes um and saying like and it's it's very powerful to me to actually have people who are in those positions or people who i would think are in those positions come out and just actually just say like no this is this is nothing like what you are being led to believe this is like you won't you mm-hmm. this is not an enviable position or you know just or even just saying like you know what we've I, heard more I and more of that late yeah. recently too people in tech especially coming out and and sort of blowing the whistle on um you know just how corrupting um and and uh exploitative an environment big tech can be mm-hmm. and i think the other part of it and when you talk about we have pretty unique or well-developed subjectivities that's what i want to see i want to see what people really think and um one of the things that I've f- felt and I've come to understand more about myself is like I'm inescapably like a Chinese person. It's very hard to say that even now. And I think that part of it is this Asian American complex about not being able to assimilate or not be, you know, like the whole uh, racial, dis- what is it called? The, um, uh, the uh, racial melancholia. Ra- racial mel- melancholia. And how we're we're essentially stuck in this you know asymptotic approach towards whiteness and whatever, and uh, as as true as that may be in terms of you know causing a lot of like personality disorders and problems in people, I, for me I feel like things are different now. Uh, there I just don't think people there is a clear idea of what whiteness is and what it means to approach it, and so I think. In a way, what I've seen online more is more and more of a sort of Asian discourse, not just Asian American, not just problems unique to you know Asian people in America or whatever, but sort of a global diaspora, and increasingly more so often people in Asia itself who've never left to some degree, though mm-hmm. there's still language barriers and stuff like that. But I'm starting to see that what I'd like to see more of as well are Asian Americans writing as Asians. Mm-hmm. Not Asian Americans writing about the difficulties in being counterfeit Americans. And I think now is a good time to do that. Because, um, I mean, shit. You, going back to your article about the alt-right, even the alt-right folks are trying to look towards Asia. Yeah. <laughs> right? To 
you know what I'm saying? And so I'm just starting to f- feel like there's a new concept. There, there's a new, especially with the internet and how much of this stuff happens online, that it the the idea of Asian American is not as interesting as it was to me before. I think the idea of being an Asian living in America is more descriptive of like my experience of life. Right. And that's like the Asian American nightmare though, right? That the Asian Americanness it was is not, the, I think it like, was the nightmare. But it's seeing it's, it's like, see how rotten the American side of that is, right? Um I mean have you have you you guys must have you you hear a really cringy conversation, right? And you're like thank Thank God for whatever combination of subjectivities I have that makes me not as stupid as you just sounded. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think like there's some there I think like I think Americans are really naive about a lot of things and one of the things that they are very naive about is just how they come across. Like mm-hmm. they don't have this conception of being like it's like yeah, America fuck yeah. So they say whatever they want and then it, if you take a step back and just actually critically examine it, that was a dumb thing to say. That shows an incredible amount of just sheer naivete about how the world works and how human nature works and how your position is not what you think it is. Uh, I think we have a, a unique ability to be able to see that, to be close to that, to understand it from their side, but then also to be able to say, this is not how I want to live my life. Mm-hmm. Um, like, or it's not how I'm living my life. It's not. Anyway, that's it's, just not how I do it's it. It's not yeah. possible. But And I think melancholy is about the impossibility of that aspiration, right? That it, I want to live like that. But I think the new door that's opening is is kind of shining a critical light on this thing that we are all kind of that we were all kind of led to believe we wanted to aspire to and seeing like that's not mm. a, that actually may not have ever existed and I, if it did it's not something we should be going for i suspect that it's been this way all along i can't know i don't know for sure but i know for me and i've said this before that when it came to being chinese american it was the american side of it that i always felt was subordinate like that was the part that kind of bothered me mm-hmm. And I feel actually that that's a more universal, I suspect that that's a more universal feeling than we think. And I think if you look at the way you see a lot of people in like subtle Asian, the subtle Asian groups in Facebook and others are talking about being Asian, there is a built in sense of both pride and loss. Like they're hanging on to their, they're trying to be as connected as they can possibly be to their to their homeland, to the culture in the homeland, and to try and bring that with them over here. And I think part of the, say, those things about the stinky lunch and whatever, and also even racial melancholia to some degree, I think was driven by the loss of your Asian-ness, not necessarily, oh, I so want to be like white people, because honestly, in my life, I haven't met many, quote, white-worshipping people. Even the ones that from, if you didn't know them from afar, you might consider them white worshiping. If, if you know them, uh, and I'm sure we all know people like this, um, I don't think that actually describes uh, that. I think it's Asian people kind of realizing that they don't want to lose that. But then the sort of pain of living within sort of like a white hegemonic culture that has no value on that, that, that connection. And that's changing that's i think that's what's changing i think so too yeah just to go back to like the stinky lunch genre right Mm -hmm. the conclusion for this is uh to me it's a little weak right it's just don't make fun of me anymore like they they can go either one of two ways right okay you bullied you dumbass hicks 
uh, don't know what good food is, so you gave me a hard time for it, and I had no backup, so this this stung, and I was a child. Uh, okay, m- fast forward some. Now, like then it's like, well, what do you want from these people in that case, right? On the one hand, it's just don't make fun of it anymore, uh, or like accept it. The other hand is just leave me alone, right? And I wonder if you present these two options to people, how many would, which one would they rather take? My guess is actually... Uh, like the corner of the collective narrative, we would all ha- kind of have to say, uh, like people just want to be accepted, like assimilation. They want to just have the roadblocks to assimilation removed and they just, you know, walk off into the white sunset and just that's it, right? There's another there's another take you could go from there. It's like, you guys have no taste and you're mean. Leave me the fuck alone so I can just do what I, what, what I, I want. I think that's what the stinky lunch genre really is. If you read, I think a lot of this stuff can be reread in a way that's more interesting yeah, that it I comes agree. across yeah. because I think the stinky lunch thing came out in response to white hipsters suddenly discovering your food do you right? think so because I feel like I've been I reading this s- since the since I, like the 90s but even. I feel like a lot of the same Asian writers who write that are pretty much from that same group anyway yeah but I'm not saying that they fit what I'm saying is it can be reread in a way it can be so that, that would be something different I would love to read it with a str- with that stronger yeah. angle um, right yeah my, my take on well. it being let me explain uh, what I think you can reread it as which is that they it, they it, it was prompted I, it, I think suspect and there are two of them that were written in the Washington Post that was particularly good um, maybe we, I can find, dig up the links and stuff but it was about oh suddenly you've discovered the stuff that was in my mom's kitchen, and now you think you've dis- you've Columbus it or whatever, but you were the same person that was uh, sort of you know teasing me when I was a kid for it. It's easy, I think, to read that as sort of just being salty and upset about having been teased by white people. But I think part of it also, and I don't know whether it was intentionally written into the article, but I suspect what was driving it to an extent was this idea of like. Now, now you fucking see. Yeah. Like now you get why we do what we do, right? But you think you know, but I'm telling you, you still don't know. Just because suddenly you think kimchi's great doesn't mean you know shit about being Korean, right? Just because all of a sudden you've discovered Sichuan peppercorns doesn't mean suddenly you get me. There's still a lot of shit about me and my family and stuff that you have no idea about, you don't understand. I think there was a little bit of defensiveness to it, and I kind of encouraged that a little. No, bit. I agree. Yeah, me too. My distrust is just that the type of people who write it, because of you know whether the schools or the programs or the crowds they run in. Oh, what that agreed. What that sounds like to me is you can't replace me in your social circle. I am still your token Asian in your you know little social group, and their main problem with the appropriation thing is it takes away what makes them valuable to the group. But uh, what I agree. I, I mean, I do agree with that, but I think that there is in that, if you reread it in the way of saying... Right, if you just like erase who wrote it and just wrote, read it uh, for what it was without yeah. what you think they came from, yeah, for sure, you can take... But also uh, that I think out of whatever motivated them to, to, to write that, that I think that's present in a lot of people, a lot of Asian people. And I'd like to maybe to the extent that we still want to develop, say, new goals for Plan A, that's one of the things that I want people to do is to take their own Asian-ness more seriously rather than constantly seeing their Asian-ness as um, something that they would like to either get over or, or you know, to feel hyper-defensive about. 
um, just feel a sense of um, maybe gratitude that you you even have that connection because I think one thing that I do see, and this was embedded I think within those, that alt right article as well, is that that connection is something that I think a lot of white Americans don't have in their life and, and are desperate do, for it. They find while they we can, keep trying to throw it away. Yeah, I mean, what was the big thing with the alt right? You know, these ridiculous attempts by white people to like find their one Viking ancestor, right? <laughs> Reconnect with their Celt. Like, there's a whole paganism revival going on in these circles. Like, Odinists are, are throwing festivals, right? Um, like, so I think. Like there's just always this tendency in America to think of America as the gold standard for how people should live and what value society should hold, right? Everyone else is kind of behind, or that's the social experiment. These are just various social experiments that are fraying to some various to varying degrees, and so they're distanced from the American ideal that determines how much we'll like them or shit on them. Uh, I think there's a slow, horrifying realization going on among Americans that it's actually the reverse. America is the weird social experiment that is rapidly fraying. Everyone else had their shit together for thousands. This was proven. This was a durable model for thousands of years. Um, there, there is some, there's some history and heritage and depth to it that America does not lack. So immediately when Americans start to question their Americanness, they immediately try, go overseas to try to find it. Right. It's this instinct um, that I think we all share. And I think this is common to all people. I think Americans have just been encouraged to dissociate and disparage that connection to history. Maybe it's the collective immigrant history nature of Americans who have come to build this country to be what it is. But over, like, I I want to start being more critical about what makes us Americans, in other words. Because I don't, I don't think it's a... And even the POC, POC, POC writing is pretty weak in that regard. There is no critique of the American way of life. There's no critique of the ideology. There's only a critique of how the difference between that ideal and us is managed. But that, bar- that can either be celebrated, that difference can be either hyper-celebrated. You see that in these, like, separatist... Uh, these hyper separatist people, you know, it's usually when they first get fired up and they get like super jazzed and they're like, we need to like run to the woods and make a compound. I mean like Odinists and, and you know, stuff like yeah, that. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, that's relatively rare. It's but relatively I think rare. that they're operating off of a intense feeling of what other people may experience in a more mild but all encompassing manner. And I think if you look at white people, um, they lost their connection to Europe at some point. And they were sort of clean slated. They were wiped clear. And I think a lot of what I see with Asian Americans is sort of wishing that that would happen to us as well. Could we, you know, I think an earlier era was how do we clean slate ourselves? How do we wipe that, that those memories clear? Yeah. It seemed like, now how do we, it seemed like to me the ideals, how do we become like Jewish Americans? How do we become uh, like an ethnic group? that still has a few little cultural like peccadillos to fall back on to make us interesting more than just, you know, the typical white bread American yet. You're talking about reformed Jews. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not, not the ones who can't use their phones on the weekend or whatever. Uh, (laughs) I have a friend uh, who is that a good friend. It, It is, it made, um, it made like hanging out in college quite hard. <laughs> or, or, I, but I find that more interesting in a way. Right. I actually, because there are a lot of Jews in America who maintain very strong connections to um, both their faith and also to Israel. Mm-hmm. And I find, I mean, I f- there's a lot of, that's loaded politics and stuff, but I understand that myself. Mm-hmm. And 
And with uh, respect to the um, like white Americans trying to reach back to Europe, like forget Europe. I think some of them are just trying to reach back to America itself. To America itself, yeah. Which yeah. I think explains a That's lot true. of the disproportionate Reddit slash online outrage about Hong Kong. I mean, do you guys want to go there? We can like talk about yeah, that. We'll, All right, but uh, before we go there, I here okay. This is a kind of convoluted personal story, but I swear it'll link. And Tien, you talked about getting more personal, so uh, here's a personal story I have to share. So, at the end of the summer, I broke up. Uh, with my girlfriend we split ways uh, and she was the first like Asian woman whom I've ever dated or been in a serious relationship with uh, with whom I could talk very frankly about these types of like Asian American issues that we talk about on plan A and everything and it felt really really good it's something that I now learn is something that that I I want to idealize in a relationship whereas before maybe 10 years ago i might have been like no i don't want to talk about that shit i want to make i want to be with someone who makes me forget about all that stuff you know uh but also that comes with when you get so deeply invested in that um you do have you do open yourself up to more just like stress you know in general because you're worrying about a lot more things and what i found is you know it's been almost like two months since we've parted ways and i don't know if it's just a coincidence but it also has been that time when i've pulled back a little bit more from plan a and i am wondering is it because i'm no longer currently in such a relationship where i feel so invested in just like asian american stuff because i don't have a partner who is like that and there is a temptation to just say you know what i I just want to step away i want to buy into this you know kind of post-racial ideal where you can just like with that like kind of like hong kong shit having to I, th- I think if you are a very race conscious asian american you you have this difficulty where you realize on one hand there is stuff going on there that's like legit you know like china does do some horrible shit that you know we should all be aware of and stuff yet on the other hand the clear bias that a lot of white americans have in focusing so much on this one thing when there's like right now there's like the yellow vest stuff going on in france in Haiti, there's this like government corruption thing going on. Uh, Chile, this this like this energy headquarters just burned to the ground because of protesters who are I think protesting a, a fuel. Uh, either it was like end austerity, of fuel subsidies. Austerity measures. Yeah, I yeah. think they ended fuel subsidies or they they put on a fuel tax. Lebanon, all sorts of shit going Haiti. on. Haiti. Um, like in Lebanon, apparently the government tried to put a tax on using WhatsApp, and that was like the last straw. They're like, okay, you've <laughs> the economy is so bad right now. This is just the last straw. Oh, yeah. um, Ecuador, which has kind of calmed down a bit, but uh, you mentioned Haiti. Uh, where else? Puerto uh, Rico. Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, that. So much stuff going on. Uh, Kashmir uh, with uh, the Indian government cracking down there. There's all sorts of things going on, but why are these people so focused on Hong Kong? And and they will probably... They claim it's like for freedom and whatever, but... It's obvious that it's really about them having their feelings hurt because they now think that uh, you know they're like fans of the NBA or something. Now they think China is going to control uh, like w- their favorite league or whatever. So it's not really about freedom. It's like secondary, maybe tertiary. But what it's really about is, is their own interest, right? And when that is, when you look at the history of, of just like Yellow Peril and all that, and you know, hey, like Japan in the in the eighties, that was like a democratic. Uh, ally country that didn't really stop you know that didn't save vincent chin's life or any of the other you watch any of the movies from the 80s all the heavy 
you know, anti-Japan, yellow apparel kind of stuff. So as like, a, like an Asian American who is really bought into Asian America, that's the kind of stuff you, I think you feel torn by. It's like, how do I uh, navigate that? Whereas if you just say, you know what, I'm just going to opt out, just be, just be so-called American, then, then you're in a much easier position where you can say, uh, just take, you know, toe the, the mainstream line. I, I mean, I tweet about this a lot, about Hong Kong and stuff. But I should be clear, and I think maybe it goes to answering a little bit what you're saying. I mean, the reason that I really do care about the way America... I don't really care about what's going on in Hong Kong, per se, because it's I don't live there. I care about how Americans talk about it. Right, and exactly. I care about how Americans talk about Because that's, that's the only thing we can talk That's like our jurisdiction. Like we, I don't know anything about in Hong Kong. But, that's why, like but, I, fight, but right? I think... And I've really thought about why it bothers me a lot. And it's not because, like, for example, that I worry about China. China's a big boy. Like, <laughs> it doesn't need our protection, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not even really worried that we're going to go to war with China or what. I don't think we are. I don't, I, if you really think about why this is being said, a lot of it is because you know that throwing shit against that wall won't lead to a real thing, right? I think... I actually do think so, but we, we talked about that yeah. before. But, yeah. I on. think the reason that I care about it is because... It's not so much about Asian interests as it is, this is America. This is the country we live in. And every time I see Americans doing this, and I felt the same way. I felt the same level of annoyance when Russiagate was going on and everything was like, you're a Russian spy, you're a Russian spy. I'm like, we can be better than this. We should be better than this as an American. So I think to the extent you're saying, do I care about Asian stuff or do I just become an American like everyone else and not give a shit? No, I, I think that's, there's no contradiction there. I think to be an American, you have to understand that like this is not good for our country, right? So I do think there's something deeply patriotic or not patriotic, but like being American in it. Yeah. To be critical from your vantage point as an Asian who gets it. I. It's not because that I'm Asian that it's wrong to me. The, the tendency for a country to blame all of its problems on an external foreign enemy is the basis of fascist states. So we should not uh, do that. I think that's exactly right. I mean, we were talking about how to maybe uh, doing a pot on loyalty. That's a dense topic. But yeah. I mean, this kind of gets to that, right? Um, this, this question, uh, you know, the way I have to think of it is, uh, look, it's not a, it's, it wouldn't be bad to move back to Korea or something, right? It's not a bad, not a bad place. I would enjoy it quite a bit. There is something that keeps me here, and that's because I am, I am an American, right? I had no control over that, but here I am, and I'm okay with it for the, for the most part. So it's like this little tension that we feel as Asian Americans, like feeling excluded, or not quite this, not quite that, doesn't quite have, has have as much relevance to me. It's just not a question to me. Like I just am American. Yeah, that's um, right. But you, because as an American, you can, to some extent, impose your view of what that means or what you want it to mean yes. into America. Yes. It's How a, effective you'll be. Being Asian by, makes me a better American, right. in, in my opinion. That's right. And in my, in, in my view, a lot more of America would be better if they could take this point of view more seriously. Yeah, I, and I, saying, saying what I do, it's not to bash America and say, you're, you know, America is an evil country. It is, but you know, it's not necessarily to distance myself from America. It's, I am saying this as an American. This would be the kind of American I, America I would like to see. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's, it's the I, question of loyalty or patriotism is, is kind of, it's, 
It's not, it's a foregone conclusion. It's not by saying like, I'm thinking out whether to, you know, stay here or just sign up and be a a spy for China. That's not in the books. I'm writing this because I'm an American and I care about this shit as an American. Yeah. And I think a lot of the contradiction comes from here, not from say, as a Chinese American from China, where I don't think people in China view America with that same level of hostility and they don't see the, they don't see the contradiction between uh, of being, say, Chinese American, mm-hmm. which is why so many of them want to come here. They don't intend to lose their Chineseness by coming here. It's here. It's I think it's in America where we start drawing these lines, and I think a lot of groups in the past have tried to open that up and say there's no need for that contradiction. Uh, I don't see why we're any different from them. Yeah, I just I want to read some tweets and Reddit's regarding. Uh, American reactions to Hong Kong, which I think highlight just how untrustworthy and full of shit, uh, like the average American online reaction to this is. So, this is uh, these are replies to a Melissa Chan tweet in which she said, "Between LeBron and Kerr, you've got some pretty well-known social justice sports guys whose social justice begins in America but ends at communist China's doorstep." Or put another way, willing to give Americans a hard time, but not any Chinese. I thought, Fuck that. I thought yeah. it was a pretty blatant dog whistle saying, like, um, giving Americans a hard time, but not any Chinese. It's basically saying, these black guys are only criticizing white Americans, but mm-hmm. not, not yellow people. So who fucking shoots them dead? Here, yeah. here are some of the tweets. Yeah. One guy, this guy, Michael Lipford. One of the tenets of multiculturalism is that the only culture you can criticize is Western culture. So, you know, that's a very predictable response. This, you, you dog whistle like that. Of course, that's what you're going to get. Here's another one that I found very... uh, Okay, this is from A. Edwards. Cognitive dissonance. They feel comfortable criticizing the Chinese because from their perspective, if you are not white, then you are marginalized regardless of where you are in the world and what demographics run your country. And then here's a few Reddit uh, posts. Uh, Let's see. Why the fuck should an NBA... Why should LeBron care about Hong Kong? Why do why why is it somehow like white people trying like just shitting on LeBron? I almost feel like it's their one chance because of this weird Chinese factor that lets white people shit on LeBron about yeah. something related to social justice. <laughs> Wait, yeah. This is just uh, makes them fucking feel. Like, I, I do them. I do believe that like this is like an America self esteem thing. Like America's self esteem is very low right now, and and the U.S. men's soccer team lost to Canada. It doesn't help. But, <laughs> but here's here's a perfect example. So this guy they're talking about. Um, I think this was when when the the House passed the the Hong Kong Freedom Bill or whatever. Uh, one guy writes, it's easy. Republicans like it because it challenges a communist state. Democrats love it because it is pro-democratic. Some guy re- replies, that's some wholesome bipartisanship I can get behind. Another guy replies, who knew that there was an issue so widely hated that we could get the gang to work together? Another guy replies, there isn't much in this world that's as impactful as America as a whole working together. Another guy replies, if only we could see it more often. Yeah. <laughs> it feels good. Yeah. Doesn't it feel good, I think, for a white person, white American... To finally not have to self-criticize and not have to shit on themselves. Like Matt Stone and Trey Parker. I mean, you got to give them a little bit of credit in the sense that South Park has skewered fucking white middle class, upper middle, middle class Americans forever. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it kind of feel good for them probably to just be able to shit on another race of people, not white people, and not have to feel white guilt about it? Yeah. It must feel fucking liberating as hell to do that. Yeah, with so. the NBA stuff, I do get a feel. And I, I, th- I do believe that these, uh, a lot of these people are probably good intentioned. Because like, our NBA, like, it is a sub I generally like. 
They love Jeremy Lin. They love Yao Ming. Yeah, I don't so think it, they're racist in that it's sense. It's not racist. And they love Japanese shit. They, you know, yeah, I don't so, think they're... Yeah. Like, I, I, don't, I think it's too easy to say, oh, they're just being racist. That's a trap. Plus, that, technically, they're being pro-HK protesters who are themselves... Right. But then, okay, yeah. so I, I grew up in Vancouver uh, where a lot of the Chinese immigrants, um, when I was growing up, were from Hong Kong. It was a derogatory term used against them. We call it... Well, not, I didn't call them, but... Other people call them hongers. To yeah. be a honger was you wore your hair in a weird like anime style. You instead of listening to good old uh, white bands like I don't know Nickelback or Pink Nickelback, <laughs> <laughs> you listen to uh, you know J-pop. Uh, that that was a honger. I'm just wondering how many of these same white people are now free Hong Kong. You know that kind of bullshit. Uh, but I was going with uh, so like I think a lot of what really sort of rankles these people is that. Hey LeBron, we stood up for you when you when we went up against our own people, in other words, white cops. I don't think they like those cops, but I do think they see them as part of like an extended family. Maybe you're embarrassed of that family, but they're family nevertheless. I'm sure they even have cops actually in their literal family. We stood up with you when you attacked them. You're not standing up with us when you know it's kind of like our geopolitical enemy, let's let's face it at this time. You know, so like we were there for you, why aren't you there for us? So there is this sense that you owe us. Um, in the same way, and and it's kind of like a, a quid pro quo. It's not really about. Uh, just yeah, like, I don't think there's a quid pro quo to be had about standing up to like police violence. Mm-hmm. Like, how is that a quid pro quo? Like, right, else, but, but you know, in like, their view, like, uh, yeah, they're somehow like in the black because they said <laughs> no, exactly one, you know, something that think, they. I think that's how people at, at a fundamental level kind of think. Like, hey, yeah, no, I agree. You, why aren't you with us? Yeah. I, I guess I would like going forward to not give a shit what other people think. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, Agreed. I think, I think, I do, I think that the fa- past two years, we have spent a lot of time analyzing how other people think and how, what our position is. And I think it's valuable to at least know what your position is within the, the, the greater whole and how people will interpret what you say or why they say the things they say. But I want to see like a more aggressive projection of what we think versus... How do we, you know, how do we understand what, you know, I, we should just yeah. be putting our understanding of stuff out there. I'd like to see more of that. Just uh, more yeah, I think so. Assertiveness. I, I, just, I sorry, agree. I just want to read this one more Reddit yeah. post. This is with respect to LeBron. Um, this statement of his totally shows his lack of education and ignorance on the matter. Oh, the folks geez. of Hong Kong are dying up, for their right to No, they're vote not. And their freedom from an oppressed Jesus. regime. I guess from an oppressive regime. If you're going to call China the oppressed regime, that doesn't make sense. This regime is just as akin to the slave traders or those who owned the cotton fields in the 1600s and 1700s. See, there you go. A yeah. civil war was fought for the freedoms of, of African Americans. Blood spilled for the freedom of speech. Yada yada. yada. So what, what's the what's the subtext oh, I, or text there? You like, owe you, us. You ungrateful blacks. We bled for you. We freed you. And in fact, Step us, up. us like white slavers, uh, we weren't that bad because this communist China uh, just as bad as us. So yeah. This isn't going anywhere, by the way. I mean, I I think what I've seen is black people see right through this shit immediately. I don't they don't care about China. Why would they care? And to the extent that like a James Harden or like a LeBron James has a lot of exposure in China, they like it there. Yeah, they get a, like, they get a ton of money. People love me here. They, they get a lot of And fans. they don't yell at me the way white people in America just or and like all Americans feel comfortable just shitting on them as if they're not really like full yeah. human beings. 
So see, I, that's why Harden to me was like, yeah, I'm not saying anything because I fucking like China. I like, I like riding around my scooter in China. <laughs> Taking a step way back, I recently saw like Captain America. I oh the movie, the movie, the first yeah. one you mean? Yeah, just I, I had yeah. no interest. I've never in seen it. it. So please describe. I what? no, it's just it's just I I think I understand the appeal of, of stuff like this. America hasn't had a great fight in a very long time, mm-hmm. right? So I think we can talk about this as nationalism, ethno-nationalism, all of that. But I think if you take a step back, I do think as a collective, America has mis- ha- does have a malaise of the soul. Yeah, exactly. Like our, our cities are crumbling. We're unhealthy. We're dying. We're sick. We're anxious, right? Um, that, that slogan, make America great again, it just has this this appeal to it. Or, or, I don't like Trump, of course, but that, that the, like, make America great again, I immediately knew what that was supposed to be. There was absolutely a heyday for American, for Americans to be say, to, to be able to say like, America, this is what we stood for. This is who we are as a people. Behold our works and tremble. Right. Um, so I think stuff like this just gave people a, a little way to access probably, you know, what common sentiment must have been, you know, a shadow of what must have been happening when America was fighting the Nazis. Right, right. Um, and, and forget about the MAGA people. Even take your, you know, pretty conscientious young white dude, you know, who like votes Democratic and stuff. They probably feel like, like oh, you know what, we... we it's still our, our best days are kind of behind us. All we do is get blamed for everything, and and I gotta I gotta go along with it because you know what I kind of know that we deserve it, but nothing's it, gonna it, get better. It's kind of just yeah, all the same. Hillary, and, Trump. What's the real difference? And then now comes day? China, and they're fucking banning Quentin Tarantino. Oh no, like this is our fight now, and and yeah. you can see where that emotion comes from. It's not illogical that they think that way, but yeah. let's recognize it for what it is. Let's not, um, you know, for all that you know hong kong's legit grievances is let's not then excuse you know like foreign total self-interest and manipulating those people because i saw this uh, reddit thread where they were talking about that that uh, hong kong bill and how it would take away special status and that would actually economically devastate hong kong i i don't know if that's true or not but uh, let's just assume it's true all the people there assumed it's true and i saw absolutely no concern for the people what would happen to people that all they cared about was "Ooh, this is going to show china that that's yeah. all they could get off on and it was no concern for the people the same people they claim are are you know fighting uh, and dying for their freedom gave absolutely no shits about them so this is all about their their ego and I mean, it's about national. It's about it's about it's about an identity crisis. I right, think right. in America, it says more about Americans than about any. Like, who gives a shit about what they say about anyone else? This the intensity of this one little like tempest in a geopolitically speaking, a tempest in a teacup, right? Is very telling of what Americans are are hungry for. Um, I actually see a slight glimmer of a, a silver lining in this. If people are aware that this is actually what they are itching for, right? Like this honest fight to make, to make, uh, to improve, you know, their positioning, their status, whatever. If you turn it inward, you know, this, this, this could, this is actually the seed of political sentiment. I mean, I think that's happening, but I think it's happening in a bifurcated way. And I don't think we're going to escape there being, I think we're heading towards a major political conflict internally yes, in the I U.S. Think so. I think the future is going to be divided between, you know, increasingly polarized factions. I don't know if it's just going to be two, but the future in America, I don't think is, we're not going to come together. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to come together, but in various extremes, in various poles. And um, I don't think as Asian, we can, as Asians, like we can necessarily avoid that. 
And so I think it's it kind of maybe what I'm interested in going forward is more along the lines again of that of the alt-right article, which is kind of reading the political tea leaves a little bit and saying that, you know, you can't, that there is no option for you to, because I think if there was, we would all do it. There is no option for you to just be like, you know, I don't have to care about these issues. I can just live my life in peace. Like, why would I care about this stuff? Well, there's a reason that at the end of the day, I ended up hanging out with you all and everyone else talking about this shit. It wasn't because uh, it 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 was a, a purely, you know, extracurricular interest of mine. I never gave a shit about this stuff before. I was forced to give a shit about it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just going to keep happening. It takes, it, it's claiming more and more people, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no center to hold. You can't you can't choose to not pick a side anymore. Yeah. So there is no neutral ground, right? It's like I feel like there's always a psychological middle ground for Americans, which is roughly cla- pegged to class. It's roughly a middle class sensibility. It's a pretty broad one. I think that was America's claim to to global power is the power of its middle class. The, this thing that America was able to produce for a great number of its citizens that no other global economy could offer. That was a pretty powerful statement. We see that one shrinking. I don't think it's a coincidence. You see the middle class shrinking. You see people getting pushed to the precipice. I mean, people, are go- people are going nuts trying to maintain middle class status. Yeah, that's right. It's it's insane how everything they're might be fall, going falling out every you day. You look yeah. at their balance sheets, and people are studying this every day. People are falling out of the middle. They, they've already fallen out. They are now deeply in debt to try to maintain just the impression of being in the middle class. Yeah. So in that sense, like there is no one who is safe from this shit. Um, they, your job might be next. Your position might your position in society is more precarious than you might think. And I think there's a general anxiety. Um, because we're all kind of aware of it, more or less. You might think this is kind of an intellectual exercise, but the reason you're thinking about it as... You're, the reason you're paying any attention to it at all is that you kind of know that this is real. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't... Well, we are at like an hour, hour 15. Should we should we wrap it up? Or Yeah, I think, uh, I think I have a... I mean... I feel better, so I'm done. Yeah, I feel better. Yeah. <laughs> the most important. Yeah. Part. yeah. Like, now I just dumped it on you guys, so, you know, peace. <laughs> Actually, this, this den is not that cold, though. I don't know if it's because we. Uh, it's we not that cold today. It's not, I think temperature wise, it's not that cold. It's today. really great talking about the state of the world in like this isolated <laughs> cabin with, with the these beautiful leaves. Trees. trees yeah. This like, yeah, really just, nice yeah, just you guys go and fight it out. We're, we're just, we're hanging. <laughs> you guys just tell us how it goes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, it was good to talk about it with you fine people and this i just feel so good because we were all in the same room and yeah which becomes more regular but i guess that's uh that's not up for us to decide it's for the fates right yeah i think you guys are gonna come to california <laughs> is it, is it <laughs> new york we should we should yeah. yeah oh you mean permanently or to visit i don't know it depends on how global warming goes oh uh, yeah but aren't you more trouble if that happens than us? Well, no, we got the flaws, but you got the fire. I'm in the mountains. I'm in the mountains. You, oh, okay. You'll be okay. <laughs> just, just come just come find me. Don't go to the beach cities. Yeah. Those are terrible. All right. All right. Well, thanks for being with us and thanks for listeners joining. We'll be back next week with another episode. This is Oxford Teen and Jess signing off. Bye, all. See ya. See ya.